Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Mephew, Mephew, which is, of course, Ger- with Guernsey. I, I can't, you see, here we go. I've, you can I've say, the trouble. You can say Mephew, but you, Mephew, but you I can't can, see. Yeah, I can say Mephew, I can say the Achtung Achtung Gern, in, in Ger- the Guernsey language. Guernseyes. Gern, Guernseyes, I think it is. That's Guernseyes for Achtung Achtung. Many thanks to regular <laughs> listener. Smooth, smooth as, smooth as my uh, clean shaved uh, chin, in fact. I barely um, recognise you. Barely, I, barely, well, I, I can barely, barely recognise the person I'm looking at. I'm in the land of the double take with a mirror. Huh, who's that? Um... <laughs> yeah, but it was really uncanny because you sent me all those photos of you doing yeah. it. Um, yeah. And then there was just a bit where you had a little wispy goatee oh. and a tash that would have made John Frost proud. And the you weird see, thing was, you could have put a, an airborne helmet on you, whisked off the goatee, and you were Anthony Hopkins. But you know what? My dad, weird. the colonel, had that moustache for the whole time, you know, when he would get in his uh, denizen at the weekend and go off to do TA. He yeah. had that tash, that paratash. And so the times I've, when, when I have shaved a beard off, I, you know, you always do it, don't you? I mean, and, and you have a little you play, end up, bit of face for fun. Yeah, exactly. And he'd leave the leave the tash up, and then maybe go down for the full Hitler and all that. And um, <laughs> but whenever I've done that, I've looked in the mirror with a moustache, and there's my father looking right back at me. And it's like I can't, we can't be, we can't be doing that. We can't. And now be he's there. And now. And how how old's the colonel now? Eighty three. So so does that kind of make you think? That's what I'm going to look like when I'm 83. Yes, it does. See, that, that's what I think is really weird, when someone looks just like their father. Yeah, oh, I know, no. it's very peculiar. Anyway, anyway. I've always been tempted um, to grow an Errol Flynn and never quite had the nerve. It requires nerve, doesn't it? It does. It requires nerve. Face but face I always used to think it. I couldn't I always used to think I couldn't grow a beard and it would come out patchy, but it came out um, very strong. It looked magnificent. It's gone now. Yeah, it looked, looked very Nordic. It's in the bin. Anyway, um, a huge <laughs> thanks to regular listener Nick Le Hooray, who very kindly got in touch from his home in Guernsey to give us Mephew, Mephew. He actually went to the trouble of contacting the Islands Language Institute and got this response from Joe Dowding. Hello, Nick. I can confirm that a translation of Achtung Achtung would be Mephiu, Mephiu. Mephiu, Mephiu means attention in the language of Guernsey, which is um, Guernsey, pronounced with a soft G, like, uh, je, like the word gin. So, Guernsey. It's three Jean-Nazier. syllables. Guernsey. Guernsey. There we go. We've if, got only, there in... if only you read down a little bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> got there in the end uh, Guernsey is the second largest of the Channel Islands occupied by German forces during the Second World War as we know um, I, um, uh, Joe says I will be listening out for the podcast best wishes jo- Joe or is it Joe Joe jo- 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 and of course G- Guernsey in the Channel Islands weren't, weren't liberated till the day after were they till, till the night that's right that's right um, left left till last yeah uh, I mean that was pointless, wasn't it? I mean, if you think about if you think about Hitler, you know, sort of, I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to reinforce this place and make sure it's absolutely impregnable because that'll that'll rub the British noses in it. Uh, and, you know, he spends you know, equivalent of billions, kind of, you know, reinforcing and turning it into a fortress, which the Allies just completely ignore. Yeah, well, no point doing that. Oh, then, is it? a lads. waste of time. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it it it's almost like he had a concrete. 
uh, salesman's catalogue, isn't it? Oh, I think. Oh, cool. I'll tell you what, that I fancy one, that one would look uh, really good on Guernsey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're sort of, licking his thumb Ooh. and flicking through the catalogue. Well, I really oh, like that one. Oh, that would look super on Jersey. Mind Fuhrer, we have put in another bunker. Which one? Is it the big Which one? one? I mean, that's basically what it boils down <laughs> yeah. to. Is it the one with the embouchures <laughs> looking to the sea or the one just looking down the beach? <laughs> Me. I mean, well, I mean, we talk. I mean, we did talk about concrete the other week, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, no, I know and, how to um, make a bunker. Yeah, um, and maybe we and actually, make one. I, well, I mean, maybe the chalk valley, the return of Chalk Valley History Festival, <laughs> pour an enormous bunker and then have to dig the fucking just have it on out. the top of the hill, sort of you know, <laughs> forevermore, <laughs> a magnificent casement. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, and we could we import forward... some cheap labour as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> we look forward to Chalk Valley History Returning <laughs> Festival Returning, but maybe it doesn't. You don't need to go that far, James. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we do. You, I mean, I'm surely, uh, surely the. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into we're going to get into stuff in a moment. But cricket, cricket's back, right? Oh, God, yeah. Next weekend, we've got a double whammy. We're already ha- we're having a sort of intra club match. Chairman's eleven versus. Versus the club, so that's, uh, yeah, I just can't wait. And also, we've got a test match on Wednesday as well, so, you know, yeah, yeah. On. I'm not yeah. working on Wednesday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I've got, I got too much to do. I got, yeah, well, you're, you're busy, aren't you? I mean, you know, I, I, was, writing, finish. I was writing a good chunk, reading a good chunk of your... Um, I, it was fantastic. I sat down uh, in the sunshine yesterday afternoon. Rachel brought me a lovely bit of cake, nice cup of tea, sat down and read it. I had a really enjoyable hour reading your 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 uh, 30s and Second World War bit. And I've got to say, it was jolly good. I was, I was, Thank you. I was unbelievably impressed with how much you managed to cram in in an incredibly coherent and non-declinist way in such a short <laughs> space of time, whilst at the same time making me laugh, uh, particularly when you think, you know, it's quite a serious subject. I thought you absolutely yeah. nailed it. Well, thank you're you. Winner. Thank you. I mean, yeah, 1066 yeah. and all that is still being read, isn't it? I don't see why they yeah. shouldn't read 20th century and all that in years. Well, I don't. I, I, I hope. I hope they will. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's been interesting compressing the information. Is the sort of um, is the is the hard bit without getting anything wrong? Because obviously, it's, you, you don't want to. You don't want to leave a leave a. If you're leaving a thing out, you're leaving it out for a reason. You're not leaving it out to omit it. You're leaving it out yep. because we've got to. We've got to push the the story. I mean, a lot like. A lot of the arguments about movie, movies about history is, you know, yep. the, the propelling the story is more important. But yep. also, you don't want to get anything. You don't want to get anything wrong. And and the if the if you leave something out of a because it's a you know it's basically the twentieth century in Precy yeah. with some with some jokes. So uh, you know you got without being too selective. I mean I uh, I mean I'm going through. I'm now going through like a second draft. So a big gag pass now. So it's the it's the that's not funny enough. We need to bump that up or. That's a bit. That's a bit thin, or the you know you could put that basically put it better because I was I was I was like a, I like a turn of phrase if I can find one you know then then when a joke arrives it feels it doesn't feel like such a sort of um uh, a random happening you know you, you know what I mean yeah but you want the whole text to feel considered but um yeah I'm now going through it again and I, I've I've really got to sign off on this week and we're putting obviously we're going for funny pictures with captions as well that's the other yeah the other big thing that's got to go into it so that's the next job is the is the art design and uh, which is which is hard because you need someone who, you need yeah. someone who gets it basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah you absolutely you know. do. But Have you got someone lined up? Um, we've got some options from the publisher, but then I'm going to France at the end of the week. So, and I'm going to I'm, I'm either going to go, you know we talked about that Halifax site where there's that crash yes. Halifax up in the Pyrenees. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, either yeah. going to go there or to Milan where the where the 
the site was where there was a sort of last stand and take some proper pictures and find out a yeah. bit more of the history about it because it's quite yeah, hard to find brilliant. out about. Anyway, and we're going to try but and do I, a live... But I, well, I thought it was really, really good. I, I oh, thank really, you. really loved it. And I, as I say, I laughed out loud loads of times. Um, good. And it was enormously entertaining. And, um, you know, the well, hour you're after. Buy, which is exactly Good. Excellent. So right, big now... tick for you. Well done. Oh, thanks, James. Thanks very much. <laughs> now, uh, at I'm least you're going... I'm off to Studland in a minute, which is exciting because it's... Um, we, well, our wedding anniversary was on was back in June, but, but COVID rather got in the way. But today, um, there's a really nice hotel down on the coast called The Pig on the Beach. It's absolutely... Oh, fantastic. yeah. Oh, God, it's I've so never been nice. there. Oh, it is amazing. You can and never get it, in. Uh, and for me, what? well, so we booked it because my oldest mate, Giles, was supposed to be coming over for his 50th birthday party, which was supposed to be on Saturday. So the plan was for, for, for me and Rachel, Giles and his wife, Judy, to go to um, the Pig on a Beach today to have the post-party debrief. You know, where you bitch about all your friends and everything. And, and that was, we were really looking forward to that. But of course, you know, because of COVID, he now can't come over. So we're taking Ned with us instead. And uh, so Ned's coming down. Um, but what really puts the icing on the cake for me is um, just at the end of the end of the lawns, you know, at the end of the grounds of the hotel is Fort Henry. Brilliant. Which is a sort of... And they're open, they're open again bunker. now, are they? They're open today for the first time. And we, we happen to book it. And it just so happens that the day that the pig um, um, is open is the day that, that we had a booking. Of, that's a stroke of so, luck. So I might. Mean, so I might nice. have to slope off down and have a look at, you know, if it's, and if, if Fort Henry's up to something, we'll have to go down there, won't we? Brilliant. Excellent. We'll have to, well, we so, have Way's Lunch and Bunker Fest. God, fantastic. Uh, yeah. I mean, just the look food at the food there is absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know really that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you have to take out a small mortgage to go there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we all got birthday vouchers to go, but it is oh, it, brilliant. It's really worth every penny. It's amazing. Brilliant. And, the, and there's concrete to perv on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> What's not to like? <laughs> <laughs> right, now, a couple of things before we delve into your emails. And by the way, we've had a ton of brilliant correspondence. And we've read the lot and hopefully replied to most. Um, this week, we've got uh, a new free audio book on the Independent Company website, um, which I read um, a while ago, actually. And we've sort, of been, we've sort of been stalling on putting this out because... Uh, because we we went through that sort of content gasm, didn't we? With um, the we have ways of making you chalk and all that sort of thing, and and we just wanted to make sure the time was right to put this out. Um, it's the I big mean, show. I think, think people can have too much of a good thing, can't they? I, they, <laughs> I think they definitely <laughs> listening to you and I. <laughs> On. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it's called The Big Show. It was written by a French um, pilot who served at the RAF called Pierre Klosterman. Um, chapter one is up on the site today um, uh, uh, and it'll be released a chapter at a time for the next three weeks or so. Oh, There's lots of it as well. It's such a wonderful book. It's such yeah. a wonderful book. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's different to um, uh, One Man's Window in that, we, in that this is a sort of series of snapshots the way he writes mm. it. Some of it's quite it's short little headings where he'll take you through a sortie or take you through an impression of arriving somewhere, what it's like, um, what the personalities are like. And he, and he sort of builds up this cumulative picture of what it was like being. I mean, he and he is so experienced. He flew yeah. on. He flew. He flew Spitfires as a, on, on sweeps on rhubarbs. He flew Spitfires um, uh, at high altitude defending uh, Scapa Flow from yeah. from reconnaissance flights. He flies, and he could fly uh, anyway, couldn't he? Because he'd learned to fly in California. Yeah, 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 exactly. He flies clip wing spits um, uh, in sorties on V two sites, and and also this guy. The other thing about Pierre Clusterman is he knows his planes inside out. So he, you do get these passages where he goes, and the problem with the the problem with the you know this Spitfire with the clip wings. Well, yeah, and it's the it's the spits that are really bad 
um, at anything other than low altitude that he really hates. And they, they're meant to be flying top cover for hurricanes. And they can't fly top cover because their Spitfires don't perform at altitude. And, he's, and he gets right into the detail of it. Mm. And it's, it's really good. And then he gets into typhoons. And then he gets into tempests. And, uh, uh, and, and it's also there's some interesting stuff about um, he's pretty bitter about uh, when France is liberated and he goes down to Paris. And there's all, he says there's all these people swanning around saying they were part of the war effort. Who are like, who are you? Oh, you've been in the RAF, have you? So what? And he's like, I've been out risking my life every single day. Yeah, what were you uh, doing? What were you doing sat on your ass in Paris? It's, re- it's, 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 it's really, re- it's really, really, really good. And, and in a, and a completely, the, I think what's really been good about these air combat books is you absolutely are in the cockpit. I mean, you were in the, you're in the yeah, cockpit yeah, with Dennis yeah, yeah. Um, and you're in the cockpit with Pierre for this, for this book. Absolutely in there, in the thick of it. With it all going on, and it's funny because it's it's really good from the from the word go. I mean, you know, when, when Jeff Wellham does his first flight in a Spitfire, that's that's a really memorable passage in First Light. But 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 so is Pierre Klosterman's first um, first flight in a Spitfire as well, which he does. He takes off in the snow, doesn't he? Or certainly in winter. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and, and the book just gets better and better and better. There's a wonderful bit where he he arrives back in Normandy for the first time, and you know, because it's such a big moment, he's put on his number one. French uniform, not his RAF uniform, yeah. especially. Yeah. And they land him and his mate are in the same squadron. They land and get absolutely covered in dust, and their kind yeah. of uniforms are wrecked within about yes. thirty he wrecks seconds. His, yes, he wrecks his uniform and regrets it. But then, it, but, I but mean, those yeah. last sequences of flying, those last sequences of flying in kind of early nineteen forty-five, when he's flying um, Tempest over 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 Germany, they're just amazing, amazing sequence of of, of flying. Yeah, really, oh, and he really, really went. Amazing. He really went through it as well because he's sent yeah. home from Normandy for being a, uh, uh, a speed out. addict, basically, and washed out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so chapter one is up on the site today, um, and it will be released chapter the time for the next three weeks or so. If you've downloaded this pod- podcast on uh, the first day it's released, Tuesday, July seventh, then tomorrow, launching tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, Gurgle Box. on Wednesday <laughs> the eighth. So Wednesday night we got Gurgle Box. Now this isn't it. Episode, this is our first attempt at this. So this is, um, bear with us, it's experimental. It's experimental. Right? It's like it's Bingham exp- Recklin. Exactly. But it, what it is, it's Band of Brothers. And remember, we're starting with Chapter 2, Day of Days, because no one wants to op- watch an episode of Olive Drab Friends. And it's uh, 9 o'clock UK time. <laughs> 9 o'clock. Uh, you need Band of Brothers on your telly and then the regular live stream on a computer or laptop or phone. Now, this is on the Patreon. Right, so uh, it's like our live, it's like the live cast we do on a Thursday, except it'll be one hour and it'll be us watching Band of Brothers, me and James uh, wiseacring, or just going, fuck me, this is great, right? Um, you in the message stream and us all just enjoying it together, like we as if we were going to watch a football match in a pub together, but it's Band of Brothers, yeah. And and I know which side this I'm week, Hopefully for. tomorrow, Tuesday, we're hoping to speak to John Orloff who wrote that script of Day of Days and also episode nine, episode nine. And he's a really nice guy. So that'd be fun. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so you need Band of Brothers on your telly and then the regular live stream on your computer or laptop or your phone. James and I will be in vision babbling on about whatever's on the screen. If you've never seen Band of Brothers before, you are in for a treat. You really are. It's... um, it's. I'm definitely going to be wearing my jump jacket. It's terrific. <laughs> I'm gonna wear. I think I'll wear my Denison and be a lost um, six airborne bloke. Ooh, what am I doing here? Um, so, uh, so you wouldn't be because it's Band of Brothers. So here we go. Here I say, what's going on here? Oh God! Because that's how all British people speak in American. Pro- I, I, you know, I, 
I watched um, Saving Private Ryan the other day. Um, but we'll get into that another time. That's not for now. Anyway, if you have... No, go on, go on, go on. Just say it. Well, say no, it, there's on. just that little bit of dialogue where where, where, they, where, where, where he runs into um, uh, Ted Danson and he goes, man, he's overrated. And you think, it's, it's what, day three? <laughs> he didn't take Khan. And without Khan, you can't take St. Lowe. And you think, actually, mate, St. Lowe's your problem. Not my... <laughs> <laughs> Well, not, we, not we might have to do a gurgle box on Saving Private Ryan because I think uh, we'll ha- both of us will probably have a little bit more to say on that than we do a- on Murder Anyway, Brothers. anyway, so the, you get the idea with gurgle box. We put Banner Brothers on, um, uh, and you 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 watch it on your telly or however, and then you've got us on the live stream on your computer, your laptop, or your phone, or your iPad, or your tablet, um, uh, yeah. whatever. Um, and we'll be we'll be in the corner like this, like for a live cast chatting. Um, and we're live streaming as usual on Thursday night. We are. Um, last week's was more preposterous than Where Eagles Dare. If you see me opening a bottle of wine or whiskey at the start, settle yourself in for the evening. I really enjoyed last Thursday. Um, and what was really fantastic is football is back. Um, sports are returning, but people are, st- you know, coming in the same kind of numbers on a Thursday night to watch. So that's really, that's been really fantastic. And again, that's yeah, on the funny. Patreon. Um, finally, now... Here we go. We're delighted to announce that, and this is this is really really exciting. We're delighted to announce that we've signed a deal with Waterstones. Hurrah! I hear you cry. More details on Thursday. But members of the independent company, so our Patreon members, will get thirty percent off books chosen by us. Now, Three that's this decent. month. That's that decent. is really 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 good. Three this month and plenty more to follow. We're cur- curating a collection of stuff we think that you would enjoy. Yeah. So, um, so well 30%. done, Rachel Holland, for organising yes, that little yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, I think um, to thank her, you need to take her to look at some uh, uh, concrete defence implements <laughs> and stuff <laughs> at the end of the grounds <laughs> at the pig on the beach. <laughs> anyway, so that's a thirty percent discount with Waterstones um, via, via the Patreon. So, if you remember, um, there's a little there's a little tickler for you. Talking of which, do not buy the book of the new Tom Hanks film Greyhound, which is actually C.S. Forrester's The Good Shepherd. It's brilliant, and that will be the first of our books at thirty percent off starting this Thursday. So, our Waterstones deal starts on Thursday, and that I mean, it's not actually a tie-in with the film us doing that. It's just that. Um, you know, uh, it's in the it's in the ether, and those C.S. Forrester books about the Navy during the Second World War are amazing. Really, really great. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, yeah. The ship is yeah. absolutely another absolute winner, yeah. which we're trying yeah. to do something with as well. Um, now we've had lots of correspondence, and we've decided today to concentrate on the flood of emails that have swamped the We Have Waste Towers. Our latest pod elf, otherwise known as Rachel or Mrs. H. Um, has been through the lot and picked out some crackers for you. Yeah, yeah she's really enjoying it actually because she, I mean, she always says, says, oh, how long did the war last? Six years? I've been living it for 18. Uh, and, and I mean, so the other night I suggested we watch the, the Death of Stalin. I said, it's really good. She goes, well, it's not about the Second World War, is it? And I said, no, 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 no. And I said, and Alf said, it's brilliant. So we really, you know, it'd be really good to watch. She went, oh, okay then. She said, after about 20 minutes, she goes, this is utter shit. I, I, I can't be doing with it at all. And walked out, stomped out. No. And then last night she wanted to watch a film. It's like, whatever we do, as long as it's got nothing to do with the war or tanks in it. So, but, so despite her, you know, um, um, dislike and lack of interest in the Second World War, she is really enjoying and finding interesting reading all these emails. And, and that's because they are. Absolutely, we've had some yeah. absolute crackers coming. So... Yeah. From Oliver Brown, who's been living in Sweden for the last ten years, yeah. what was Sweden? <laughs> what was Sweden's role in the war? Spell R O L L. You want to go? Well, their favourite one was a chocolate sponge <laughs> with cream. 
Um, it had a, a roll mop in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I know officially they were neutral, but just how neutral were they? As there were a large amount of Swedes in the Waffen SS along with the trade of iron ore, but towards the end of the war, when it's clear Germany uh, won't win, they suddenly become more supportive to the Allies, allowing the use of airfields and selling iron ore to the Allies. Was this just Sweden backing quietly um, who they believed to win and hoping to profit from it, or just not ending up like their neighbours, Denmark and Norway? Any clarity on this would be great, and please keep up the great podcasts. Well, it's, it, it's um, trying to stay out of trouble, isn't it? Yeah, um, it really is. Don't forget uh, that they're, they're, they're the wrong side of de- of, of Norway yeah. for, for access to the sea. Yeah. So in yeah. other words, they're bit land... I mean, yes, okay, so they've got... A, I don't think they've even got any... Um, have they got any coastline? I don't think, I'm not sure they have, even up in the Arctic. So they're a bit stuffed. They've got some... They've got obviously into the, into the Baltic Sea, but that's frozen over half the year. Yeah. Um, so how do they get stuff? How do they survive? How do they actually sort of get any food, any resources they need? They do that by kind of sort of being neutral, but obviously having to do deals with with Nazi Germany. Mm. So I don't think it is that they're particularly um, particularly pro-Nazi. I think they're just sort of you know real politics yeah. as such that you know without kind of um, selling iron ore to the Nazis, they're a bit stuffed. Yeah, I mean, and and the the I mean, Swedes joining the Waffen Waffen SS. I mean, the thing is, National Socialism as a as a sort of as a racial concept uh, uh, political racial political concept isn't unique to germany it, it, it it's it's present in other societies in other countries yeah, i mean course. and th- there's you know in the in the 20s there was a sort of attempt to, to create a sort of pan european um uh, national socialist uh, thing that that actually hitler didn't want anything to do with to start with because he because he was trying to hang on to the power he had locally in in um in bavaria even and even you even get you even get when they try and move the nazi party to berlin he won't have it yeah. and uh and throws his toys out the pram over that and actually quits over it and is coaxed back into the party so so although although we think of nazism as as being you know from a german wellspring it's present elsewhere and yep. certainly certainly uh, all o- all over europe and uh so sweden that doesn't you know that there were swedes in the waffen ss and a large amount of them doesn't mean that sweden is necessarily more or less pro-nazi than other european countries were at the time i think that's i think that's kind of fair to say I think, yeah, I think you, it is. And also, if you're, you know, if you were a member of the, um, uh, the Norwegian underground, for example, um, quite often your escape route for where you had to go and lie low, you would cross the border into Sweden and, and yeah. hang out in Sweden for a bit. Yeah. Um, or you'd escape from Sweden back to Britain. Um, yeah. So, there were, there, you know, there were, there were all sorts of, you, you know, neutral countries. It's not straightforward. And Sweden's attitude is, is not dissimilar to Switzerland, really. Well, yeah. No, actually, no. That's I don't, that's not true. In, in many ways, it's more liberal than, than than Switzerland. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, is as ever. The, 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 you know, there's there are multiple Germanies too. You know, like if, if northern northern Germany is more in common with its Baltic neighbours, yes, than, than than southern Germany. And so, so you know, it's it, it it it's part of the problem that nationalism tosses up is the idea that all people are going to behave in one way or be like each other. But, but, yep. you, you know what I mean? I mean, I think I think Sweden, Sweden, obviously, I mean, I think it's it's a good was Sweden just quietly backing who they believed would win. I think it's more that they're trying to stay out of trouble. Yes, um, uh, I would uh, agree uh, with that. Uh, uh, and not, and they did not want to end up like their Norway's neighbours, Denmark and Norway. Absolutely not. No, I mean, you, you wouldn't want that. You, you have to, I mean, you know, just to, to take Spain, for example. You know, it, it is it's clearly got much more in common with Nazi Germany than, than Britain. And yet it keeps Britain sweet because it, because it knows that if it doesn't, it, the tap of supplies from Britain is going to be cut off. 
Uh, and so, it, again, it's, it's doing this kind of sort of, you know, they're doing what they can to survive. I mean, and also don't forget that, of course, in the, in, you know, there were major plans in 1939 and into 1940 for a joint Allied invasion of Sweden. Yep. To take the Gualilor, um, um yeah. iron ore fields. Yeah. They were actually going to send an invasion force and invade Sweden. And, the, and you know, ball bearings and so on, going backwards and forwards, and, and mosquito flights with, with uh, people in them and... Uh, all that go. I mean, the other the other thing is the allies. The allies stay out of Sweden because it then offers them a conduit into Europe too, that they can they can get stuff in and out. Because I mean, after all, why not? Why wouldn't Sweden sign up as an ally because it would get invaded? Why would why would Sweden uh, not sign up as a member of the Axis because it would get invaded? You know, <laughs> or, you know. I mean, you, you, the, the, there are firm arguments for staying out of the Red Army's way as much as there are firm arguments for staying out of the way of the Nazi. Yeah, well, the, don't forget the Red Army the is based Finland, which is Sweden's neighbour. Exactly, and and you know, I mean, you, you only have to look. You only have to look at what that what that's like to see why Sweden Sweden is you know definitely trying to avoid either either fate i think it's fair to say yeah. and anyway being an ally of the germans is no guarantee that they'll leave you alone either okay well we hope we've answered that adequately we're going to take a short break now and we'll be back with a couple more emails Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Mephew, Mephew, I can pronounce it. I just can't say whatever the word for Guernsey is. Um, right, Je, so. je ne sais. <laughs> je ne sais. No, I can't say that. God, it's like you were born there. Right, I'm absolutely loving the podcast. <laughs> and yes, I am over 60, says Miles Dixon, surgeon to John Catsize Cunningham. I was interested in your reference to the Bristol Bowfighter as one of the forgotten planes of World War II. I'm a surgeon and had the privilege of treating the late John Catsize Cunningham some years ago. Amazing. I've always had an interest in Second World War airplanes, perhaps due to my father's war experience flying typhoons, and I quizzed John Cunningham about various aspects of his experience as a night fighter and the planes he flew. He told me how much he enjoyed flying mosquitoes, but was happier shooting down any enemy bombers flying the Bowfighter. The reason was that the radial engines of the Bowfighter were unaffected by the debris coming off the enemy aircraft. Whereas he invariably had to shut one of the mosquito engines down to prevent overheating as debris entered the Merlin engine's air intake. Wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, I'm a you know I'm I'm a massive fan of the Bowfighter. I think I think it's an incredible aircraft. They've got one at Hendon, yeah. haven't they? And it's just yep. it's just absolutely awesome. I mean, the, yep. the thing about the Bowfighter is it's just bristling with weaponry, isn't it? Yep. So yeah. So you, you know it's absolutely armed to the gunnels with cannons and all sorts of. I mean, it, in a way, it reminds me of the difference difference between the Thunderbolt and the and the Mustang. You know, like yes. the Bowfighter yeah. Mosquito. It's that kind of. You've got w- w- one w- one's feline one, and refined, and yeah, and the other's like, all right, come on, have it. Yeah, so it's one one's like a one's like a sort of um, like a, a, a refined the refined lines of a sort of thoroughbred, and the other's like brute yeah. brute force. It's it's like a cutlass or a rapier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got this. I've got this great mate called Rick Hillam, who's actually a professor of physics. So he's a scientist, but he's also quite, he, uh, uh, don't laugh. He's quite into dousing. Okay, he he he, he right. believes in it, and right. and anyway, so um, okay. he said, wouldn't it be fun to go and find one of the one of the shot down aircraft near you, and we could sort of dig around and see if we can find anything. Oh yeah, I'm all over that. That bit sounds brilliant. This was some years ago. Um, anyway, so he did a bit of research and found out. That in Alva Distant, which is literally two and a half miles as a crow flies from, from, from home, 
is the remains of a Junkers 88 shot down in May 1941 by John Catsize Cunningham in a bowfighter. Really? Yeah. And did he get his sticks out and find it? Yeah, yeah, well, I'll, I'll comment that. So anyway, we, we, so there was this, this guy who lived in the village who used to, who was a farm labourer at the time, and he remembered, he remembered watching it. You know, he was walking, it was the end of the, it was like he said, it was about five o'clock in the afternoon, it was the end of the working day, he was walking back with a horse and a cart, um, leading it back to the farm, and, and yeah. he saw it all happen. And he went up, and we went up to this field, he said, it came down right here. And, and so we went to the field, and uh, we went out with the metal detector stuff, couldn't find anything at all. And of course, the bulk of it would have obviously been, been removed yeah. a long time ago. But you'd had lots of debris there. So, um, so anyway, then we, then we got out uh, his, his, his dousing rods, and it was a really weird experience. He said, okay, you just hold them in your hands. Hold them firmly, but not too tightly. And just, yeah. just picture the plane, but imagine it. Uh, and anyway, it led me about 100 yards further up the field. And just like that, we found a whole load of stuff. Shut up. I kid you not. I absolutely swear. I can't explain it. Anyway, it was all very I- weird. It was all very weird, but it definitely happened. And um, anyway, so we found the remains of his young... I've still got a bit of armour placing in my, in, my, um, in my little den. Incredible. Yeah. You, um, when you find a wrecked aircraft, did you call... Do you, are you supposed to call Hendon and, or someone and say... God, we found I don't know. Him. I mean, you know, we're talking What's, about little bits of rusted metal, so no, we didn't. We just... You know, is there a treasure trove on a thing like that? I, if I you see know. what I mean, or an equivalent... Maybe one of so. our listeners. I mean, I think a little bit of scrap of a metal from a from a Junkers eighty. I mean, literally. I mean, there's nothing to say that it is what it is. Yeah. Apart from the fact that it's very obviously armor plate, the bit that we picked up. But I mean, there was nothing that sort of said Junkers on it in sort no, of no, no, of aluminium not, or I, anything like that. But but you know, I mean, I'm wondering if there's a if there's a RAF archaeological unit that maybe uh, yeah, yeah, it's just well, there is just, this amazing um, uh, Richard Osgood, who's um, who is the kind of MOD's official archaeologist. He set yeah. up an amazing thing called, called Operation Nightingale, and this was originally for the rifles, and it was it was people who'd been who'd suffered some kind of trauma uh, yeah. on duty in Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, usually yeah. kind of you know losing limbs and things, yeah. and it was to try and rehabilitate them through archaeology. Yeah, and so he yeah, led yeah. all these amazing projects, and they um, they dug up a Spitfire, the remains of a Spitfire, up on Salisbury Plain, and I went up there to kind of um, watch them do it and everything. It was amazing, and, they, and you know, obviously, you know, when you're probably doing archaeology, the whole point of archaeology is you've got to bag it up, make a note of it, and then you've got to do a report on it. Yeah, um, I think it's slightly different if you're just sort of bleeping around and, and sort of you know we're really, you know, it's not a proper dig. It's just yeah, kind yeah. of funny a bit of loose stuff that's sort of just under the surface. I think it's slightly different. Were but, they at Chalk but, yeah. a couple of years ago with a tank? They'd found a tank, and was that? Yes, 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 yes. In the First World War, yeah, yeah. He's he's a really nice guy, Richard. Actually, we should get him on. He's fascinating. Well, no, that would that would that would be brilliant, and maybe we could find out. He's a lovely fellow as well. Because I mean, after all, the 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 southeast of England must be full of um, bits of Dornia and Junkers eighty eight and Spitfire and Hurricane and yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Although I expect the the British wrecks were more likely to be recovered than the German ones. Am I right in thinking that? No, no. I mean, it depends how how they wreck. I mean, if if they're plummeting straight into the ground, you know, that you might you might go twenty feet into the soil. Depends again. It depends on the depth of the soil, the hardness of the rock, and all sorts of stuff. But what would tend to happen is if you know if a plane goes straight in, it goes in. Um, yeah. And the only thing that you'll find remaining now really is going to be the, the engine block, the engine block, and that's about it. You know, because everything else will just, just you know, the, the aluminium will just, just go. You know, but if it, if it sort of glides in and sort of crashes, you know, it might all be a bit of a mess and then blow up. But but the bulk of it would then be towed away. You know, yeah, and use the, the scrap would be, yeah, yeah. you know, regurgitated again into another aircraft. Yeah. But but inevitably you're going to get, particularly when there's an explosion, you're going to get lots and lots of bits 
scattered all over. all over the place. And that was what was really interesting about that exercise. But anyway, that was that was a cat sized Cunningham victory. Incredible. Yeah, I, thought, I can't remember the precise date. It was something like the 20th of May, 1941. But, I mean, the nerve, though, of thinking, oh, I'm going to have to shut one of the engines down now because of the debris in the air intake. Um, in a combat situation, oh, I'll turn the engine back on now. And it, and, and it coming, you know, hoping it would come back on. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing. Cat's like- Cunningham. I mean, he, everyone really, really loved him. I mean, you know, yeah. when you talk to people who knew him, his fellow pilots, he were, he, he were lifelong friends, people who knew him. I mean, they just, the, the awe with which they talk about talk yeah. about him it's not just because of his skill as a pilot it's because by all accounts he was just the most marvellous human being yeah I never met him sadly but yeah. well well, thanks very much for that um, Miles Dixon now do you want to read the next one or shall I um, yeah I'll read this one this is from David McEwen oh no oh, okay. <laughs> aye aye enough Watch yourself, boys. This is Invernessian for Achtung, Achtung. Words which would have been heard frequently as oh. the Highland 51st clambered up the slopes behind Wadi Akra in April 1943. Yeah. Um, I just want to say what a totally fantastic podcast. Oh, thanks, David. Um, I've immersed myself in it these last few months of lockdown. One very small but noteworthy issue, already addressed <laughs> by others, is your continuing liberal years, use of the word amazing. Please do try and use alternatives sometime, e.g. knockout, last heard being uttered by the salesman and Reggie Perrin. In its fullest form, it can be extended to knockout city, Arizona, if it's a truly amazing point you wish to underline. I'm not sure about that. That's a rubbish idea. Sorry, David. I don't agree with you at all. I was reading a pictorial book on naval warfare in World War II. I came across a passing reference to Frederick Rutland, who was a pioneer naval aviator awarded the DSC and Bar in World War I. First World War, you're British. Uh, he was interned for most of World War II, Second World War, you're British, and committed suicide in 1949, having provided material help to Japan during the 30s and early 40s in their development of a naval aviation capability. This then led me to William Forbes Sempill, 19th Lord Sempill of Craigivar Castle, Aberdeenshire. He seems to have had a long entanglement with Japanese espionage over 20 years, culminating with him passing transcripts of discussions between Churchill and Roosevelt in Newfoundland in August 1941. He seems to have been a particularly treacherous individual. Forbes Semple, do you have any observations? Keep up the great work. The podcast is amazing. Knockout, City, Arizona. Um, that's well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because because um, the Japanese did get um, uh, help, didn't they? And um, Taranto is, is the... The, the thing that they studied in particular, didn't they? Um, Yamamoto was particularly interested in Taranto as a sort of way of doing things with Pearl Harbor in mind. Yeah. And he did, they, he did get help, didn't he? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, um, Rutland did, did help the Japanese. It's sort of, um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, because well, Forbes Semple, he'd be someone to look up at, at Q, wouldn't he? It'd be interesting yeah. to see whether there's anything on him, a file on him or something. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, you get, yeah. get to the bottom of it. I mean, that's the great thing about those archives. You know, sometimes you really can unearth these completely forgotten stories and find that actually there's a lot more to it. I mean, if he only gets a, a gentle slap on the wrist for what he's done, there's got to be a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. There, 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 there's maybe something else he did in in the other Double direction. Double agenting or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it yeah. may be that the information that he passes between Church and Roosevelt and Newfound in August 1941, um, there's nothing particularly sensational anyway. I mean, to be honest... There isn't. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, they, they, it, there's the Atlantic Charter, isn't there? And there's, you yeah. know, they agree to kind of, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of things. And anyway, and, and anyway, in August 1941, uh, Japan isn't... It's part of the uh, Axis, isn't it? But it's not part of the war. 
It's not part it of the war. It does exist on the 30th of September 1940. Yeah. But it's, but so it's so so actually, what is the what is the relationship with Japan? And and you know, it, 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 all through 1941, the Americans are, the Americans are. Well, you could argue they're not doing a very good job of it, but they're, they're doing their best to try and um, make sure that it doesn't come to blows with the Japanese in the Pacific, aren't they? They're, they're, they're there. Well, the, the big thing about the Atlantic Charter is the um, uh, reaffirmation of the ABC-1 yeah. um, agreement that's agreed in March 1941, which is that they're going to do a Germany-first policy should yeah, America yeah. ever get into the into war rather yeah. than the Pacific. But, of course, you know, in August 1941, that makes perfect sense because, of course, Japan isn't in the war. Isn't in the war, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. of course, so, so that's why there's a, a few nerves um, uh, from the British before the Arcadia Conference in December 1941 when they, you know, as yeah. soon as um, America's in the war, they hurtle across the Atlantic yeah. to have, just to really kind of make sure that America sticks to its guns on this post-Pearl Harbor, which, of course, yeah. it does. But, yeah. but you know, maybe maybe telling um, the Japanese that is a way of actually deterring them from from war. I mean, I, I think I mean, I actually think it's interesting that um, the, the, the way the way that, that David put it is that um, he said uh, Forbes Semple seems to have had a very long entanglement, a, a long entanglement with Japanese espionage over 20 years, which 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 may mean, like you say, a bit of double agenting. It, it may be that it, it, he's trying to find out what they know. Uh, and all that sort of thing, anyway. That it, 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 yeah. it that, 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 like you say, he's worth looking up because there may be there may be more to it than than this. So I mean, it, it's yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you know. I mean, as you know, I'm a massive fan of Roosevelt. Um, yeah. I, I think he was absolutely incredible. But I do. I think he he played the wrong hand with the Japanese in the summer of 1941. Mm. Um, you know, because Kono is the uh, is the prime minister, and he's he's a dove, not a hawk. Um, yeah. And and he is he he's preparing to make all sorts of concessions to the American demands, you know, about their stance in China and kind of, yep. you know, moving in or out of Vietnam, of Indochina, French Indochina and now Vietnam yep. and all the, all the rest yep. of it. And it's, re- it's really interesting, all that period. And, I, and, and and the assumption from the Americans is that they can be really bullish with the Japanese because they won't, on, you know, under any circumstances be stupid enough to, to go to war. And, of course, they get that wrong. And, and that is... You know they completely misread the runes on all that. Yeah. Anyway, fascinating. I've never heard. Well, but everyone's misreading everyone else, aren't they? Because yes, because the Japanese the Japanese think well, we'll knock them out of Pearl Harbor and 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 that'll 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 shut the Americans up. And well, the, uh, yeah, but I think they kind of they they hope that that's the kind of best case scenario. I think the yeah. Japanese just feel like that they've been sort of well. The, the, there's Tojo who is just a, a total hawk, and so it's part of their yeah. destiny to go to. You know, they're just itching for it in a kind of sort of. I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you know, he, he's a well, like in the way that Hitler's itching for a war, right? Exactly. I think it's exactly the same. Um, it's like exactly the same mindset. But there is also this feeling that, yikes, we've just got ourselves in into a complete pickle here because you know we've got the Chinese, we can't backtrack from China, but at the same time we can't win in China either, and 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 we've got this burgeoning um, urban population. What is it? You know, eighty million or something in Japan, which is a tiny place. They can't afford. They can't afford ever, anything. They can't afford to kind of grow any more than they are, and, and so that it feels that they're completely stuck. And so the only alternative is to try and get these resources from elsewhere in, the, in, a, in a kind of sort of new Pacific block. But to do that, they've got to get make sure they're they don't have any interference from the Dutch or the British yeah. or the Americans. Yeah. Uh, and so Pearl Harbor is the only means of of buying them time to get to a position where they can come to an agreed peace with the United States yeah. Yeah. to their to the, to their favour. 
as opposed to um, the war not turning out entirely to Germany's favour. That's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that line, which you put in your book. It's yeah. just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite I mean, how did he stay as emperor right till his death? Well, that that was Phillips. Phillips brought that up, didn't he? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the sort That's of uh, the reverse ferret acquired. Enough questions. I just want to read this last thing out from Andrew Faulkner, who um, wrote to us with regard to the Ethel Lote podcast. I have only just stopped crying. Puts all this COVID stuff into perspective. I'm finished moaning about my own problems. What an inspiring chat. I've listened to nearly all of your podcasts, and to hear from someone who was there at the time has knocked me sideways. Thanks to you and Ethel. Well, thanks for listening, listening, Andrew. It was um, it was fantastic to talk to Ethel. Um, like I say, well, uh, I said earlier, we, there's tons to coming this week. Um, even as yes. even as James and I, James and I, prepare to go on holiday. Um, that's it for today. Rem- remember, Gurgle Box starts to, um, tomorrow, Wednesday night, Wednesday, July the eighth, nine o'clock UK time. Episode two of Band of Brothers. And what we'll all do is we'll all we'll all line up and we'll we'll tell you what to do. On the on the on the live cast, don't worry. Is we'll all have watched the start and have the yep. music lined up so we start at the end of the opening credits. That's the idea to start yes. at the end of the opening credits. So so what we won't be doing is because most of the most of the episodes of Band of Brothers start with the veterans. So we won't be doing our boring nattering, our stupid inane nattering over the veterans. We'll let them have their say, and then and then we'll start at the end of the credits. <laughs> Imagine the, side of that. Oh God, this guy's a bit dull, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And the, and the and the the opening music. I mean, what's it? I think the opening credits on Banner Brothers are one of the only things that dates the program slightly. Is they're long. There's a lot of music at the start. Quite a lot like of that, opening credit. It, yeah. Well, so do I. But you wouldn't. You kind of wouldn't get that nowadays. So um, skip intro. The old days. Exactly. Skip intro. We're not going to skip the intro. We're going to start at the end of the intro. So um, we look forward to, to you joining us on Wednesday night for Gurglebox. And then we are live streaming as normal on Thursday. I expect we'll have lots of Banner Brothers to talk about. Um, do Particularly post-John Orloff as well. Especially post-John Orloff. Do listen to the new audiobook, The Big Show. Let us know what you think. Our Twitter handle is at WeHaveWaysPod. Thanks for listening. See you all soon. Cheerio. Yeah, I'm dusting down my jump jacket. And until then, <laughs> at ease, Trooper. <laughs> <laughs>